Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. We are in Orlando, Florida, and we're at Commodity Classic. A lot going on that we are going to be talking about here on the program today. And we are very happy to be broadcasting from the Syngenta booth on the trade show floor at Commodity Classic. Our guest will be Quinn Showalter, head of sales in the U.S. for Northrop King. We'll talk a lot about some very exciting things for NK Seeds going on. We have some news there. Yesterday we had some news that had us all scratching our heads a little bit when it comes to E15. And that is uh, Secretary Purdue comes out and says at a hearing at the House Ag Committee that basically they're not going to be able to, EPA won't get it approved and done and ready for summer sales. And then he comes back and says, well, now maybe that's not the case. So Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Associations here, he's going to try to straighten this out, although he's still trying to figure some of it out, too. So that's coming up. Uh, We're going to talk with the uh, CEO of the U.S. Soybean uh, Export Council, and we're also going to be talking with the Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So we have a lot going on here at Commodity Classic. And just a message back to my man on the board, Steve. Uh, We're getting some feedback, so if you could... uh, Switch that for us. Thank you. Very quickly took care of that. Thank you so much. All right. I want to start with Quinn Showalter, head of uh, U.S. sales for NK. Quinn, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us here at Commodity Classic. But you do have some exciting news, something you've been working on for some time that you've announced here. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, it, it's been a really exciting time over the past 18 months uh, for NK and Syngenta Seeds. Um, back in 2017, we announced a, a major commitment to our U.S. seed business and more specifically NK. And uh, over the past 18 months, uh, we've uh, tripled the size of our NK sales and agronomy staff. We've added um, a significant number of new corn breeders uh, to our organization. And all that was in support of uh, reinvigorating a a business uh, to provide farmers choice, uh, given everything that's going on in the industry. And today we're announcing a a continued uh, um, evolution of our strategy with a a refined brand mission of, of delivering technology, genetics, and value to the U.S. farmer. And uh, we think that's really important uh, for the continued development of our brand and uh, to continue to provide farmers choice. Why those three particular areas? Yeah, thanks. Great question. Uh, So first and foremost, Syngenta is a world-class R&D organization, and uh, we're committed to delivering new technology to farmers. And that's what farmers need uh, is advancements in technology. Uh, We've got a long history of doing that. We were one of the first companies uh, to, uh, to deliver BT corn, one of the first companies to sell hybrid seed, and uh, what many don't know is uh, actually we're celebrating the 135th anniversary of NK, uh, which has a rich history of innovation. So technology has always been at the forefront. Um, genetics is, is core to any seed company. And uh, we have one of the most diverse and broadest corn and soybean germ pools in the industry. And so the combination of genetics and technology is really what we're striving uh, to deliver to farmers. Lastly is value. And, um, you know, Either you know, if technology and genetics aren't combined in a way that delivers farmers value and return on investment, none of that matters. So, uh, we know farmers uh, have a lot of choices in where they invest their money, and uh, every decision they make has to ultimately, especially in today's economics conditions, deliver return on investment for them. So, our our new uh, refreshed brand mission is to deliver technology, genetics, and value to the U.S. farmer. So, we're going to hear be hearing more from NK, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Quinn, thanks a lot. Appreciate Thank you. it.
That's Quinn Showalter. He is uh, head of U.S. sales for NK, as uh, they have some exciting news here at Commodity Classic. All right. Uh, also joining me now is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, I, I was I was lost yesterday. I mean, I, I saw where Secretary Purdue says, uh, hey, we're not going to get E15 sales by this summer, something we feared all along. Right. But now he's kind of backed off of that. Uh, we're getting conflicting signals from EPA and USDA. What do you make of this? Yeah, we are getting conflicting signals, Mike, and it was a little bit of a uh, who's on first and what's on second yesterday routine. Uh, Secretary Purdue was testifying in front of the House Ag Committee, and he was asked uh, by a couple of members of that committee, you know, what, what are you hearing about E15, and is that rulemaking going to get done <clears throat> in time for the summer driving season? Uh, and his response uh, was, no, I don't think it's going to get done. Um, you know, here we are at the end of February. Uh, EPA committed last November uh, to start this rulemaking process. We still haven't seen a, a proposed rule from EPA. We know that process is going to take time to, to, to play out. Uh, and so, you know, we're skeptical ourselves of whether this rulemaking will be finalized before the summer driving season begins June 1st. So Secretary Purdue, that's that's the uh, perspective he was uh uh, representing yesterday morning. Um, it was disappointing for us to hear that. It's really the first uh, acknowledgement from anyone in the administration that your, that deadline may be missed. Your worst fears were kind of being it, it, exactly expressed, right? being confirmed. Yeah. Um, so we, we uh, expressed our disappointment. Uh, later in the day, however, uh, we hear from uh, Administrator Wheeler, who is going through the confirmation process this week, uh, that, oh, no, no, EPA is going to get this uh, rule done on time. It's going to be finalized before summer. Uh, and, and so don't worry. Uh, so, you know, mixed messages and, and conflicting signals out of the administration yesterday. Um, I tend to put my money on uh, what Secretary Purdue said. I, I, at this stage, I just don't know how we're going to get this rulemaking done in time for summer driving season. Uh, you know, we're 90 days away uh, from June 1st. These rulemakings take time, and it hasn't even been proposed yet. As much as you want to get it done, and I know there may be some ways maybe they can cut some corners or cut through some red tape and find a way to get it done but doesn't that also leave the rule then more vulnerable to to challenges yeah i mean that's that's what we've been saying really since president trump you know came to iowa last october and stood up and said hey i'm directing my epa to get this done we said two things we want it done quickly before the summer driving season and we want it done right we want this rule to stand up to challenge and we know it's going to be challenged by the oil industry uh, and so, yeah, we're worried that if, uh, you know, EPA finds itself in a situation where it's trying to rush something out and it's looking at ways to cut corners, uh, that that just uh, increases the odds that they're going to produce a rule that will be more vulner vulnerable to, to some sort of challenge and, and may not stand up. Plus, a big part of this is to send signals to the industry that, hey, go ahead and commit to putting in the infrastructure and selling E15. They're not getting a clear signal. They're not, and, and we talk to retailers every day uh, and, you know, are working with retailers who are expressing interest in E15, uh, and this is the, the most significant barrier that they're facing is they, they want to know that they can sell this fuel year-round. They want to know that come June 1st, they'll be able to sell E15 to their customers during that time of the year when, when demand is the highest, uh, and right now they're not, they don't have that assurance, and, and we can't give them that assurance. Um, so, you know, we, we want this thing to get done, get done right, uh, put it behind us so we can move on. And so con consumers can access uh, E15, which is lower cost and, and higher octane and, and better for their vehicle. 
So I wasn't the only one confused. We're still waiting. Absolutely. Still, uh, Wait, waiting for uh, a little more clarity, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, Secretary Purdue will be here this week, of course, and, and maybe we can learn a little bit more yeah. about what's going on. Yeah, he's scheduled to be here at Commodity Classic tomorrow. All right, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Quinn Showalter, I know Syngenta's watching this closely, too. Your business with Inogen, uh, you're watching these kind of announcements very closely. Yeah, we are, um, and just uh, would, would align with uh, what Jeff has said. Uh, um, it's really important for uh, our industry, and uh, we hope we see some decisions soon. All right. All right, we need to take a break. We're at Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida. I won't even tell you how warm it is. I haven't really been out to know, but it just looks good out the window compared to what I've been seeing back in the Midwest. Uh, but we are here at the Commodity Classic. We're at the Syngenta booth. Lots more to talk about, about NK and uh, some exciting news from them. But coming up next, we're going to talk with the Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, Mike Steenhook, joins us next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Credence soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Credence Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credence retailer about the new Credence Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, back here at Commodity Classic in Orlando. Uh, we mentioned Secretary Purdue is supposed to be here tomorrow. Several USDA officials are here. I saw Martin Barbary earlier, head of uh, the Risk Management Agency. Um, I believe Richard Fordyce, head of FSA, is supposed to be here as well. They're really focusing on trying to get the, the farm bill implemented and uh, a big push there. So they'll be talking a lot about that. But you know there are going to be a lot of questions for Secretary Purdue tomorrow about uh, the EPA and E15 for the summer that we were just talking about. So we'll see uh, what he has to say about that. Joining me now is Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Uh, we'll get together and talk uh, more about infrastructure. Mike, thanks for being with us. Uh, we're where do we stand since last we talked? Is uh, anything moving? Are you, you, does it sound like we're headed in the right direction? Well, you know, the thing that discourages me, we'll, we'll start with that, is when you look at what the president and look at the Congress, This, by the way, this is a bipartisan indictment here. When you look at what is occupying their time, it, it really isn't the, the to-do list for the American people. You know, one of the items on the to-do list is infrastructure investment, and we're not really seeing a lot of time spent on any of these issues, actually spending on other other items that are less consequential what does encourage me is i believe that they're that both the president and congress want to demonstrate that they can get something done and they're trying to make the case for the to the american people i think infrastructure is the best opportunity to do it so we're really hopeful and so it really is incumbent upon agriculture to make the case for what specific infrastructure investments would be most consequential for our industry then you're always competing, it seems like, for space and time on the congressional schedule because mm -hmm. there's so much happening right now. And sometimes, as we've seen before, issues like this get pushed to the back burner. Yeah, and but I, th I think one of the things that we saw last year is how much credibility the U.S. farmer has. 
uh, I would argue that one of the main reasons why we had such a robust uh, aid package from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for the market facilitation program is not because the farmers just sat on the sign lines and sat on their hands and didn't express their opinion. I think when farmers do express their opinion, when there's a unified voice, people take notice and they want to do something about it. it obviously, infrastructure is not as seismic of an issue as the, the trade imbroglio with China, but it is important. And so I think when farmers do get engaged on this, things will happen. Well, we, we know how long it's taken to get some improvements on locks and dams on, on, on Midwest rivers. Uh, we're slowly seeing some things get done, but that's been go- ongoing effort for years and years. Uh, do you see that speeding up at all in this, whatever that infrastructure package may be? Is that going to be a priority, you think? I, I think so. And we have had some increased funding for the inland waterway system with our locks and dams, and that's very encouraging. At our Soy Transportation Coalition board meeting, we had a senior official from the Army Corps of Engineers brief us on some of the progress that they're making. So there are these projects in the queue that they do have plans to it to to really address on the illinois river on the upper mississippi river so that's encouraging it's not as fast as we would like but but the the needle is moving you've mentioned you've met with officials at the army corps of engineers do you think you're on the same page with them because at times we've we've kind of been at odds with them we being people in agriculture and folks uh, in around the, the the rivers and waterway system are you kind of a playing from the same play sheet now or not i think overall you know one of the one of the problems with the army corps of engineers is that congress has given them a number of mandates and sometimes those mandates are conflicting they're, they're supposed to manage the inland waterway system to make sure that they're uh, sensitive to uh, fish species and things like that but then also at the same time they're, they're charged with enhancing and maintaining navigation and sometimes those things do conflict mm-hmm. uh, the, the challenge is to make sure that we're able to address some of those items but also not making sure that our navi- ability to transport product is, is impeded we, we've got to prevent that that's really been one of the secrets to our success talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We're looking at the infrastructure uh, improvements that hopefully we're going to see a big push on here. Is it a matter of money or is there money set aside for these and you just have, they just have to pick out the project? Well, it, it really is main t- making sure that we continue to have this momentum that we're on. Uh, yes, we need to continue to secure funding. That's really important. We have had a 48% increase in funding for locks and dams over the last last five six years so we want to really keep that momentum going uh these pro these projects uh they've been allowed to dilapidate these lock and dam assets uh we need there's a lot of work to be done we're really encouraged that we are seeing some progress but obviously that needs to continue where are we in the when we look at the transportation system we've had challenges on rail at times in the past and we've had various things come up overall where are we this year uh, you know, there, there are some certainly some challenges. Our rural roads and bridges, they get neglected. That's more of a, a local issue, but we're very much engaged in that as well because that's the, the infrastructure that farmers really rely on. Uh, we, we are hearing some real concerns about rail service right now with uh, some of the railroads that are really trying to squeeze costs out of their operations. They're entitled to try to do that, but one of the consequences that we're seeing is that really is having a, a detrimental impact on service. So a number of grain shippers are really concerned about their ability to meet customer needs so that's something that we remain engaged in and of course you know with our locks and dams our ports are another area that are very important to us if we want to have a robust export program uh, we've got to make sure that we've got 
the lower Mississippi River near New Orleans, the Pacific Northwest uh, near Seattle and Portland. We've got to make sure that those areas are, are properly maintained. Yeah, we, we talk so much about trade, which is vitally important, and hopefully we're going to get these, some of these trade issues worked out. But you still got to be able to move the. If you're going to sell, you got to be able to move the product, right? And uh, that's always been our advantage. But uh, we we're uh, we're having some problem areas. Yeah, you know, I I visited with some Brazilian soybean farmers a number of years ago, and I said to them, if the day ever comes where you're the most economical choice on the international marketplace i hope it's because you've done a good job of investing in your infrastructure not because we've been lackadaisical investing in ours not a whole lot we can do about what happens in brazil and argentina a whole lot we can do about what happens in the united states so this remains a real important issue for farmers to be attentive to i think a lot of concern right now maybe as we go into this spring a lot of places, a lot of moisture. Flooding could be a huge issue on the river. Yeah, we're seeing it right now with some of the areas of the river that are open 365 days a year. Uh, barge flotilla sizes have to be constricted because of high water with more turbulent current. All of those type of things. We anticipate that only accelerating as as the ice melts hoping that the ice eventually melts in the upper mis- yes. Midwest. But it, it's not just going to be restricted to our inland waterways. I, I don't know of a gravel road that really likes to have torrential rainfall and torrential moisture. You know, even railroad track ballast, you know, you, you see that uh, will, be in, will be impacted as well. So this is something that you know, we're going to be very mindful of. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about water and excess water this spring. When we ever get, when when we, when they, Congress, gets to this uh, infrastructure package, do you see it as a comprehensive package, or do you see it focusing more on one area than another? How do you envision it being? Yeah, I, I, I would be surprised if there's something very seismic and comprehensive, just because I, I don't have a lot of confidence in uh, Washington, D.C.'s ability to pull it off right now. I, I do think, though, that there, there are some opportunities to do certain initiatives and projects that really move the needle. One that we're really focusing on is dredging the lower Mississippi River near New Orleans an additional five feet, from 45 feet to 50 feet. If we do that, you're going to be able to load ships heavier, attract even larger ships, and that just shaves cents off the per bushel delivered price to our customers. And you know, with our trade standoff that we have, that's inserted a cost between farmers and our customers. Transportation is a, co- a cost between farmers and our customers. And so when we make transportation more efficient, we're chipping away at the cents per bushel delivered price. That's a project that would really have an impact on our competitiveness. Then I wonder about will it be a standalone bill of some sort? What we see so often in Congress, something else gets attached to it, then somebody objects to it. So even though they might have been in favor of the infrastructure bill, they wind up not voting for it because of something else that's been attached to it. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very turbulent environment, and so you know we need to be able to react to it. You know, the last thing that we need to be is a real is some large bureaucracy like an ocean vessel that takes a long time to turn and adjust ourselves to a new reality in Washington D.C. Uh, we need to be able to react to it so that if it, it is more of a standalone bill or if it's attached to something at the last minute, we need to be prepared for that. But it, it really starts before the debate even happens to make sure that these projects are on their radar screen, that they are a priority, so that when that time does come, those projects can get inserted into the overall debate. So that's the process that's underway right now. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Mike, always good to see you. And uh, 
I look forward to when we have some news to talk about and say, wow, it's really happening. It seems like we've been talking about we hope it's coming, we think it's coming for quite some time, and hopefully it'll be here soon. Well, we just keep pounding the rock, and eventually it does crack. Very good. Thanks a lot. That's Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, joining us here at uh, Commodity Classic in Orlando, broadcasting today from the Syngenta booth here on the trade show floor. Coming up next, we'll learn more about uh, some of the exciting news with Syngenta and NK. We're also going to talk with the uh, CEO of the Soybean Export Council. We're going to talk more about uh, uh, moving our soybeans uh, out of this country and to markets all around the world and some of the things that are being worked on from a market development standpoint. A lot of news, of course, going on with China. We'll talk about that as well. So stay with us from Commodity Classic in Orlando. This is Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds, all backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We are in Orlando, Florida at Commodity Classic and broadcasting from the trade show floor today. Very happy to be in the Syngenta booth and happy to have with us now Joe Bowman. He is the uh, uh, NK Corn Product Manager. And, Joe, thanks for being with us. We talked earlier with uh, Quinn Showalter. Some exciting things happening with NK. you got some great uh, new genetics uh, information that you're sharing with farmers. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a great time with NK corn. Uh, we really have a reinvigorated corn portfolio. Uh, we've had the fastest rate of genetic gain in the industry over the last about decade. And it, it's really starting to show, and, and growers are starting to see the return on investment that they're getting with it. And uh, the latest launch class is just the next in line of a strong and improving performance in the NK portfolio. How so? What are the improvements? Yeah, so we're we're continuing to invest in the breeding program, and uh, we're launching uh, 17 new hybrids for the 2020 growing season. Uh, performance throughout the United States, they're about 4.9 bushels better than DeKalb and uh, nearly two bushels better than Pioneer. So we've made a, a fast rate of gain as well as bringing in the agronomics that, that growers come to and expect uh, and really need in these tough financial times is that they need to ensure that they're going to get a good, good return on their investment. Genetics the key, right? Yeah, genetics is the foundation for it. And uh, we also have the portfolio of traits with AgriSure Duracade to protect corn rootworm, uh, as well as AgriSure Viptera to protect above ground pests such as corn earworm and western bean cutworm, which are continuing to be more and more challenging every year. Always, uh, you and I were just talking about this. When you come to a show like this, and you're going to be talking with a lot of farmers in the next few days, they're going to be asking you what's new, and it's always good to have something to tell them, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it really is good to have uh, good news to talk about it, and I'm sure you talked with Quinn earlier. Uh, we've made a lot of investments in NK corn and breeding, uh, and we're looking to continue to bring more more hybrids out on an annual basis and, and really fitting them for the acres that, that growers need. So, you know, listen to our customers developing products that can handle new diseases as they come up, such as tar spot or bacterial leaf streak, uh, as well as some of our, our old challenging pests, such as corn rootworm. So making sure we have those technologies 
technologies to protect the, the investment that these growers are making. Yeah, it's not like you get rid of all the old problems. There's still those challenges are still there, but it seems like you always some new ones pop up, and that's why when we're talking genetics, it's so important, right? Yeah, you, you hit the mark right there, and uh, we're spending about $30 million right now uh, building a trade accelerator in Nampa, Idaho, and that's really to help us uh, continue to evolve as these challenging times come out. So whether we're bringing a new GM trade to market or other technologies to market, uh, it's going to allow us to get corn hybrids to the market about two years faster, uh, which obviously allows us to adapt to the ever-changing environment that we're dealing with. So a lot new and exciting happening with NK. Yes, uh, it's, it's a really exciting time right now, uh, beyond just the genetics, the investment in the NK brand, uh, both from bringing out more genetics and other technologies as well. All right, Joe, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. Joe Bowman, he is the uh, NK Corn Product Manager. Again, a lot of exciting news from NK uh, that we're learning here at Commodity Classic. Also joining me is Jim Sutter. He is CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, thanks for uh, being with us. Wow. Soybeans kind of been in the news a little bit lately with uh, what China, I think. We've yeah, talked about we've that heard a little bit about China. We sure have. Yep. So, what is your take? I was asking you this before we went on the air. Yep. Everyone's excited that maybe we're getting close to a deal with China. We don't know what yep. the details are. We right. know that nothing's done until it's done. But are you optimistic? I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, I think as we hear from our USDA and USTR negotiators, the things that they're doing in agriculture. It sounds like there are good things coming, and I know they've been talking for a long time with their Chinese counterparts, trying to make progress, and, and, and I'm optimistic that something good can come from that. I think it's all, all bets are off, though, until this overall structural deal between China and the U.S. should come to pass, and, uh, you know, that's not going to be easy. But uh, I was encouraged. I read the transcript. I read some of the recaps of what uh, Ambassador Lighthizer testified yesterday sounded like some you know the continue to make progress uh the president uh, the, the the you know the conference they had last week last friday where another 10 million tons of old crop soy purchases were announced by the chinese i think again trying to kind of you know keep enticing the u.s to keep working but that's good news our u.s soybean farmers we got plenty of crop to sell so it's good i talk about this a lot i look at this in the in the big picture long term mm. because whatever deal they come up with i don't think we'll be able to judge for many many years what the impact of all this was you and i were talking about this i related a lot to the, to the uh, russian grain embargo back in the late 70s yep. and we we saw how that changed the dynamic of production and sales all around the world and to me this looks like a, a similar type of event that 20 30 years from now people will look back and say yeah uh, that changed a lot of things. Oh, you're exactly right. There were, a, you know, think about two major consequences out of this de out of the situation we find ourselves in now, or really three, but a couple of the external ones being Brazil. We have awakened Brazil or reinvigorated them to want to produce more soy and to make significant investments in their infrastructure because we all know Brazil's got a lot of land. They historically have had infrastructure problems that make it difficult to get what they produce out of the country, but they're making big investments, and the Chinese are making big investments to improve that. Likewise, unfortunately, in China, we are encouraging them to use less protein in their rations. Now that, you know, we've all heard the stories, and, and I've talked with feed companies in China that have said, yes, we have reduced the amount of soy we're using in our rations. Uh, the government told us to do that, so they followed some of those instructions. Um, maybe they'll go back to the old way. Maybe they won't. But it certainly it, it changed, caused them to change the way they were looking at things. 
And now African swine fever, that changes the demand picture uh, it certainly the pork does. side, right? It certainly does change the demand picture. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we continue to hear reports of how uh, pervasive this ASF problem is throughout China and now slipping into some other neighboring countries. We have been really working, trying to, in, trying to, uh, to use the word invigorate again, to invigorate our efforts in other countries mm -hmm. aside from China. Because, uh, and we'd already actually kind of shifted to doing this before the China trade situation became such a problem. Um, and really looking at far deferred or developing markets. Think of India, Myanmar, Nigeria. Not places that are going to next year be big importers of U.S. soy. But we think that if we can help jumpstart protein demand in those countries that have big populations, low protein consumption today, developing economies, we think that can really be something for the future and can be, you know, cementing demand for five, ten years down the road. You know, I hear out of China they'll say things, officials will say, well, they don't want to be totally dependent on one country, whether it's the U.S. or wherever. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's a lesson we need to learn, not to be totally dependent on one market to sell into. And I think China, we kind of fell into that. I, I'd said for a long time, you know, when we debate a farm bill, you know, we got to have a farm safety net. I said, well, you know, really the farm safety net had become China and what, what they buy, <laughs> you know. And we need to, that's why I think uh, having these uh, diversity of markets is so important, whether China. I can, you know, and people say, well, how could you have allowed uh, the soybean industry to become so dependent upon China? I, you know, how do you not allow it? Yeah. I mean, when, they, when they're buying and demand's growing, you're not going to tell a customer, oh, sorry, we don't want to sell to you, <laughs> right. you know, but, but it's certainly something in hindsight. Uh, maybe we could have been working on the diversification efforts with more energy earlier. Um, that's hindsight. We, we started doing that early last year. Now it looks like a smart thing, and we're going to really continue to be committed to that. We're talking with Jim Sutter. He is CEO of the United States Soybean Export Council. All right. So you mentioned some of those areas you're working on. What yep. what, what holds the most promise, you think? What are some of those markets you think that we could really see a, a tremendous increase in maybe in the next few years? Well, if I, if I just think about uh, the, the fastest growing single market last year for U.S. soy exports was Egypt. Not Egypt. A, Egypt, you know, not a place we normally think of as being a big place, but uh, but they their poultry production and their aquaculture production is growing dramatically, and so they're they've really grown, and we think that'll be a two million ton market in just a couple of years. A couple of others that are sort of again non-traditional places, Pakistan and Bangladesh, have both really grown in terms of uh, ex exports or their imports, exports of U.S. soy going to those countries, and they're sort of to import some soy it's growing quickly but the volumes they used to import came from India but now India which is also a soy producer they're the depending on the year but usually around the fifth largest producer in the world but they're now consuming most of the soy they produce themselves so instead of exporting to supply their neighbors and even some countries in Southeast Asia they're about neutral in terms of consuming all that they produce so, so we think that in a few years' time, if we can get, to, you know, we've seen what happened in the neighboring countries to India. Uh, we talk about sort of the, the crown jewel of this basic market work or developing market work being India, if they would start to need to import. So when you go into those markets and you're talking with them about mm -hmm. buying soybeans, what is our advantage? Why would they buy U.S. soybeans over Brazilian beans? So we talk about the U.S. soy advantage, and we talk really about three, three main components of the bet. The quality advantage, because we believe, uh, or we have data to, to, to back up the, the fact that the nutrient density in U.S. soy, the amino acids, the energy level, is superior to Brazilian soy. 
Brazilian soy may have slightly higher crude protein levels, but if you really dig into it, we have better components here. And investments are being made by the seed companies, by USB, to try and even improve that further. We talk about the infrastructure advantages that the U.S. has. I talked about Brazil's investments in that area, but we still are ahead. The U.S. has great, reliable companies that export and then infrastructure to support that. And then finally, it's the sustainability of U.S. soy. And in some markets, not their first thing that they're interested in, but certainly in many countries around the world, they're starting to ask more and more questions about how sustainable is the production practices of your soy. And here in the U.S., the farmers do a great job with the conservation practices they follow and, the, uh, and, and, and all of the environmental things that, that are benefits that, that go into the sustainability. So hopefully we can work through the tariff issues and these trade issues, and uh, we'll see these markets grow even more in the future. Jim, as always, thank you very much. Thank Good you very you. much, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity. Jim Sutter, he is the uh, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. A lot of good work going on around the world. We hear so much about China, but there are some very important markets other than China that we need to keep an eye on as well. All right, we'll take our final break, come back. We have more coming up from here at Commodity Classic in Orlando, broadcasting today from the trade show floor of the Syngenta booth. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Creden soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Creden's Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credenz retailer about the new Credenz Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. At Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida, broadcasting from the Syngenta booth, we've talked a lot about the exciting news with NK Corn. We're going to talk soybeans now as we have the NK Soybean Product Manager with us, uh, Scott Erickson. Scott, thanks for joining us. Soybeans haven't been left out. You've got some exciting news too, right? That's right. I think for soybean growers, there's lots of options available to them now and lots of decisions to be made as we approach the 2019 planting season. Not only what's going on with commodity prices, but also options within the decision to grow soybeans. And what are some of those new exciting uh, options they have? Now? New technologies available, which is really exciting. And one of the things that we're focusing on at NK Soybeans is that we want to offer all of those options that are available for soybean producers, especially in the area of weed management. So we're offering NK Soybeans not only with the Roundup Ready 2 Extend trait, which would be the dicamba tolerance, but also now with the new Enlist D3 technology, which is the 2,4-D tolerance, and also adding Liberty Link GT27. So lots of opportunities for farmers to manage problem weeds this year. As we go into 2019, the planting season, uh, what about seed quality? Seed quality has been very interesting this year as folks think back to what did I see in my own soybean field last fall. And uh, I've heard stories about uh, dockage at the local elevator in some cases. And, of course, we had some late-season rains in a lot of geographies. So if the soybeans were out in the field for a while, there might be that issue. 
But we want to make sure that growers understand and can have the assurance that in case soybeans go through a whole series of quality control steps. So the, the beans that maybe you harvested or that you saw in your neighbor's field last fall, that's not the quality you'll see in an NK soybean bag because we're doing our own internal testing. We're sending them out to outside testing firms, and we're making sure only the best seed ends up in an NK soybean bag. Okay, what else we saw last year, Scott? And this wasn't everywhere, but mm-hmm. in, in some areas, including mine in Illinois, some outstanding soybean yields, bigger than I'd ever seen. We're starting to take the ceiling off that uh, 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 the soybean yield number a little bit more. We really we? are, and I, and I dare say as a soybean person, maybe it's starting to catch up with corn, no? <laughs> but uh, part of that is that we've really focused on the toughness of NK soybeans because as, as we improve agronomic traits, that's why we're winning yield contests. I think sometimes in, in other crops we say you either have an offensive product or a defensive, but in soybeans they really work together, and that's why we're seeing those yield ceilings climb. And even though we expect soybean acre numbers to be down a little bit this year, not as much as we thought they might be, uh, <laughs> soybeans are really popular to plant right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, that's one of the decisions farmers have to face. And, and certainly we want to make sure that we're optimizing the productivity of every acre, right? Because there's a lot of investment being made, not only in the land and the labor and all the other decisions. So uh, our job is to make sure that soybean producers have the best opportunity to, to have a really good return on investment. And a lot new from NK, so uh, they need to check it out, right? That's right. The local NK retailer is a great source of information and can provide support for the NK soybean products. NK soybean product manager, Scott Erickson. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you. All right. Well, I am so happy to have uh, someone here with me now who, uh, over the years, has taught me so much, (laughs) so many lessons about what goes on in Washington, D.C. Mary Kay Thatcher, Senior Lead, Federal Government Relations for Syngenta. How are you? Great, Mike. Great to see you. You, um, I'm sure as you observe what's going on right now in Washington, D.C., and the dysfunction and the the, uh, the politics at play, uh, I, I've often thought, what are you thinking about the challenge ahead to get USMCA passed? Uh, the feeling by some that not wanting to give President Trump any kind of a victory, but yet there are certainly some Democrats, ag Democrats especially, that they're going to be hearing from constituents that they, this would be good to get it passed. So how do you see this playing out? Well, I'm in high hopes that, uh, well, first of all, I would say I was really heartened yesterday when Mr. Neal, the new chairman of the Ways and Means Committee that's responsible in the House for Trade, said, we're not going to reopen USMCA. We're going to move forward. I, I think that sort of reiterates the hope, which is that we can come through with some side letters on labor and environment, environmental provisions. I think there are a lot of Democrats in the House that are concerned that those won't be enforceable, especially in Mexico. And so if we can come up with those slide letters, we can hopefully uh, move an agreement through. I do think it's going to require that we lift the tariffs. Uh, I don't think you're going to have enough members of Congress that will vote for it without that, nor do I think you can get Canada and Mexico to come forward. So uh, they, they are, I think, helping our negotiating ability, but the sooner we can get those tariffs off, the sooner we can get USMCA through, I think the better off we are. I, I, I suspect sometime this summer is the hope. I get the feeling the administration's held on to those kind of as a bargaining chip, that when we get right down to it, is this going to pass or not? They can pull them off then to help get it through. Absolutely. And I think the president's pretty open on, I'm a tariff man. I like them. I, I, I think this is the way I do influence things. So uh, so we just hope that at the right time, we can indeed pull those off. I, you know, I'm... Uh, I look at uh, a study that Purdue University did about three months ago that showed uh, USMCA we're gonna we're gonna benefit primarily in dairy and poultry by the to the tune of about 500 million dollars a year in new ag exports, but 
we're losing 1.7 billion a year in tariffs. So all in all, the sooner we get these tariffs off and we get this agreement done and we can move forward. And I think that USMCA is indeed going to be the litmus test for can we do this? Okay, if we can, then we can move forward with other trade agreements. Hey, you've watched a lot of farm bills get written. We got this one done, but now getting it implemented, you throw in a government shutdown, makes it even harder. But uh, this has been a real challenge to get this one really on the ground and in place and going. Absolutely. And I know especially the dairy industry, uh, I'm sure they're heartened that uh, they've been made the number one priority. I think that was the right decision. But saying, well, maybe not ready till June is, I'm sure, longer than they had hoped sure. to hold out. But that, that uh, shutdown did indeed affect us. I think it's all hands on deck down at USDA. And, um, you know, certainly it probably wouldn't be near as important if we didn't have the ag economy kind of in the tank with a whole lot of commodities right now. So, And everything right now evolving around trade and China and what's going to happen there, we kind of wait and see. We absolutely do. But I think we have to continue to talk remind everyone that you know this trade is not just about can we make it through this year with poor prices it's about the long term and um it, it, it's absolutely a fact that the hardest market to get is the one you had at one point and you lost so uh let's move all these things along as quickly as we can yeah and we see i keep saying whatever deal we get it, it's going to have to be good enough not only for moving forward but to help make up for what we've lost here since in the last few months right absolutely and you know probably a perfect example mike is japan uh, you know we, we we didn't do the tpp we pulled out of that they went ahead the other 11 countries and now japan and europe have cut a deal that's 30 percent of gdp we got to go get japan quickly yeah the administration they're talking about it we'll see if that comes true or not good to see you again nice to see you mary kate thatcher senior lead federal government relations for syngenta that wraps it up for today more tomorrow from here at commodity classic in orlando hope you'll join us right here on aoa adams on agriculture